Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. God to touch them. You can be seated. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord today. And we pray for God's blessing and His anointing. And we just want to welcome all of you in the house today and pray that God will help us and strengthen us. There's so many good things going on right now in our in our annex, and I'm excited about our children's ministry and some Bible studies that are taking place right now. And let's just ask the Lord to let His Word, which is a light, just be that illuminating force in the lives of people today because the Word of God is true and I'm thankful for the truth of His Word that helps us and sustains us. And so I'm going to ask you today to, to uh, let's let the presence and the power of the Lord touch our hearts. Let's gather around the, the Word of God, gather our minds around the Word of God and let His Spirit and His truth remain triumphant in our lives. I believe that the Lord can and will, through His Word, speak to us in a specific way. I believe that He can target the heart. He can minister to specific needs and lives that are in this house this morning. And uh, so we don't have to come here and, and hope that somehow the Word of the Lord will, will a, a little bit of His, the dust of His Word will touch the heart of people. But I believe that God in His, in His power and presence can target the heart. And He can speak specifically to the needs that are here today. And so those needs vary. What you need is not what perhaps I need. And um, there may be a bleed over of that a little bit, of course. But I believe that God can touch all of us and specifically give us exactly what we need in the house today. Amen. So I want us to be kind of in that frame of mind that we are going to receive something from Him. Amen. Would you do that? We're going to receive something from Him. I'm going to get something out of this service. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to allow the presence of God to speak to my heart. I don't want us to consider that the Word of the Lord is for anybody else but just to me. Amen. So let the Lord speak to me today. And uh, during the month of April, we have been teaching a series entitled The Call of Unity. And uh, certainly, I don't know of a more important topic, not just for the church, but for the world at large and our nation to be able to understand the power and the validity of, of unity in our midst. Um, I, I want to begin with an interesting story that's found in the book of Judges chapter 12, and um, I don't want you to, to lose you in any of the details of this, so I'm, I'm going to just do my very best to hit some of the high points. I don't want to lose you in the details, and so I'm just going to hit a few high points here in, in uh, Judges uh, chapter 12. Now, uh, the book of Judges, If when you read the book of Judges, you find that it was in this day there was no king in the land or there was no ruler. And so every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So we're already in trouble <laughs> because everybody's just doing whatever they 
they think is right. And so we can see that uh, the very danger of lawlessness uh, in our midst and what would happen. So it's not a stretch of the imagination to um, not a stretch of the imagination to know how tragic it would be for a sense of lawlessness to reign. But in in the in Judges twelve. It describes a very divisive time, and the tribes of Israel were divided. Even though Israel was being threatened by the Ammonites to the east, they also fought among themselves during this dark period of history. And that's always a tragic thing when there is infighting. The infighting had steadily grown more and more violent. The end result of this was an all-out civil war. The sons of Gilead rejected their half-brother, a man by the name of Jephthah, because he had been born to their father by a prostitute. Jephthah, however, even though he had been estranged from the family for many, many years, he had gained a reputation as being a very valiant champion of war. And so with a great threat of battle impending, the brothers sent a message to Jephthah asking him to come home. So they had to somewhat swallow a little bit of their pride and and um, maybe things that had even been said, and they then had to, to pledge some loyalty to Jephthah as not only a half-brother, but they needed to pledge their loyalty to him as a leader. He agreed, and with God's help, they prevailed against their enemies. And they drove the Ammonites out of the land, and, um, and, and Jephthah then returned to Mizpah in victory. But when he got there, he was confronted by uh, even more fighting and, and more confusion. And so in this, many threats and many insults were hurled. Because you see, back in that day, human beings were much like they are today. <laughs> we can say too much and, and we can do too much. And, and so Jephthah rallied forces and, and, uh, from, the people and, uh, from the people of Gilead and he fought uh, against the soldiers of Ephraim. And, and I, I know that's a lot of details, but we're coming to an interesting turn in the story. And it's right here, it's right here that, that Jephthah and the men of Gilead, they seized the fords of the Jordan River. And in these shallow places of the river was where the men would have been able to cross and return back home. And so Jephthah, they sieged these forces, forces, forges, and at every crossing they had men stationed and they devised a rather shrewd test. They asked all the soldiers of Ephraim to give them the password. It was just one word. We're familiar with passwords today for sure. It was just one word, and all they had to do was say the word shibboleth. And apparently, uh, from what history can give us, their accent, due to their accent, it was impossible for them to pronounce the letter H. And so when they tried to say shibboleth, it would come out as sibboleth. And so when they said sibboleth instead of shibboleth, those that were against them immediately drew their swords and slew them on the spot. And it was, it turned into a, a, a huge battle. And so we understand the value of being able to be together. And I'll come back to this in just a moment. Now the purpose of our study today is to underline the importance of unity. And I just want to say, as I've often said, that just because you have unity does not mean you cannot lose unity. 
It doesn't matter how unified you are. It doesn't matter how wonderful a church or a body or an organization or a group of people or a team of people may be. Unity is not something that you can say, well, we have this, so we're in good shape. We can now worry about something else. I believe that we should always be conscientious of our responsibility to tend to the spirit of unity. And the very moment that anything begins that can cause disunity, someone needs to be grown enough and Holy Ghost filled enough to say we're going to do something about that. And so unity is a wonderful thing. You can be unified and not have unity. And the old, the old story about the two cats who were tied together and thrown over a clothesline, they were unified. But there wasn't a whole lot of unity in the camp. And so we don't need to just be unified by some common purpose or goal. There needs to be a spirit of unity when we are together. And so, and, 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 and in addition to that, and I think an important addition to that, is that unity must have a measuring, a measuring stick. There must be a benchmark, in other words, to unity. Something around which we are unified together for. We can't just have unity or peace at any cost. And there are some people that, that feel that, you know, we're just, we're just going to have peace at any cost. And peace at any cost is going to destroy the whole. And uh, so if someone says, if someone's in an abusive relationship, for instance, and we're just going to have peace for any cost, at any cost, we're just going to, it's not a healthy situation. So you can't just have peace at any cost, keep lowering the line, keep lowering the requirement until we finally all live happily ever after. There's no such thing as that. That's going to lead, again, to the breakdown of the whole. So the fundamental doctrines of a church, so we're going to talk about church today since we are a church and we're in church. That will be pretty convenient, won't it? And uh, the fundamental doctrines of the church are one thing upon which we must all come into agreement about. There's, that's the foundation. That's what we're standing on. And so we can all agree to disagree on a lot of things in life. We can agree to disagree whether um, southern gospel music is the best or bluegrass gospel is the best or contemporary gospel is the best. We can all agree to disagree about that. We can agree to disagree about carpet or hardwood floors or about pews or chairs. We can all agree to disagree about We can afford to do that. There's some latitude given us. But when it comes to fundamental doctrine... There must, that must be a rallying point. We must, there must be something that unifies and that we are unified around. So, uh, the doctrines of the church, that's our foundation. Paul appealed to the Ephesians in a call for unity when he wrote in Ephesians 4 and 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then, Paul doesn't just toss that out there and let that kind of dangle in the clouds. But Paul set the doctrinal standard for unity when he wrote further in verse number 4, 5, and 6. He established what it is, this fundamental doctrine. He said, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and further a Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And so Paul said we need to endeavor to keep the unity the spirit in the bond of peace, and then he said, and this is 
the standard about which we must build our unity upon. The nation, the, the nation, uh, or the, the national identity of Israel was unified around the test of the covenant of God, the word of God, the law of God. And their covenant with God established them as the people of God. It also served to separate them and, and allow them to be a very unique nation among all the nations of the world that day. Virtually every other nation known to man at that time, worshipped multiple gods or multiple entities. Therefore, Israel was unique. They were unusual in that their understanding of the one true God. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Amen. So the covenant of God... The covenant that God made with Israel didn't allow room for the worship of any other deity. And so the test of truth continues to be both that which separates and that which unifies. Truth has a dividing factor to it and it has a unifying factor to it. Amen. The truth of God's word defines doctrinal identity of, of, of believers. And at the same time, those who adhere to God's truth are going to find themselves separated from others who have a different spiritual or moral standard. And, and I could paint outside of the lines here just a little bit today and tell you that this doesn't just apply to church doctrine, but it would apply to almost any aspect of life where you take a stand if you take a moral stand, not just a spiritual stand, but you take a moral stand about an issue, I promise you that your moral position, <laughs> it has the ability to unify and it also has the ability to separate. And so that, and so we had to understand that and, and uh, it's not our intention as a church, certainly want to underline this, it is not our intention as a church to be divisive. That's not our goal, to try to divide people or divide families or divide friends. However, when we embrace certain doctrines that are scripturally and clearly taught, that are clearly taught in scripture, there are going to be others that reject us, amen, because they're going to reject those doctrines. And so like Jesus said, so they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And so we have to not take those things personal when people kind of want to call us out of the crowd because of a certain belief that you may have or a moral code that you may have in your life. They're not rejecting you as a person, but they're rejecting the truth of the Word of God. And so I've got to put my hand and my foot upon the Word of God and pull that into my life and stand on that unshifting ground. So when we speak of God's Word... When we think of God's thoughts, we are natu we naturally speak a different language than those that are often found in our social circles. As the disciples spent time with Jesus, obviously they learned His ways. There were uh, there were no doubt mannerisms uh, that that were a part of their life after being around Him and working with Him, and and uh, they conformed to His teaching, and and they became day by day, week by week, year by year, they became more. And more like him. Even their speech was affected. When, when Peter was confronted after the arrest of Jesus, a woman identified him by his speech. His speech gave him away. 
Matthew 26, 73, After a while came unto him they that stood by and said unto Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. The more time we spend in the presence of God, in the Word of God, the more time we spend in prayer, we're going to be conformed to the word to the word of God. It's going to have an effect on our lives. The the, the preaching, the teaching, the the influence that the Spirit of God has upon our life. It just begins to shape us and mold us. And after a while, after a while, we are not the person that we used to be. And that's the goal. On the day of Pentecost, there were uh, all sorts of people that were gathered from several nations, where those Hebrews descend, descendants had scattered. And and when the Holy Ghost was poured out. Those that had received the Spirit began to speak in a variety of languages, according to Acts. It was a miraculous event. I don't think anyone would try to take away from that. But the observers recognized something. They recognized the regional ethnicity of those who spoke with other tongues, and they asked a very legitimate question in Acts 2 and 7. They said, Are not all these which speak Galileans? That was, a, that was a fair question. Are not all of these that are speaking, are they not all Galileans? Among the crowd, they recognized many of their own languages. And they said, but, but these are Galileans. But they were recognizing their own languages. In, in Acts 2.11, the, the, the scripture says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Amen. What a miracle. It was more than a regional dialect or an ethnic identity. Amen. There was something about their demeanor that marked them. The Holy Ghost marked them. Amen. I believe the Holy Ghost should mark us today. I, I know that many of, 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 of us in this building today and others have, have had people walk up to you and say, there's just something different about you. It's not your perfume. It's not your cologne. It's not the way you've got your hair. There's, that difference is that marked Spirit of God that has touched our life and branded our life. There should be something different about us. After the healing of the lame man, at the gate beautiful, Peter and John spoke effectively and they spoke boldly and courageously about Jesus. They gave him all the glory for this miracle. Amen. The crowd took notice of this one thing in Acts 4 and 13. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Amen. There was something about them they understood. They, they, they may not have been able to, to sit down and, 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 academically break it all apart but they understood one thing these men have been with Jesus and uh, even though uh, further in that same verse it talks about that they acknowledge and I don't think we're promoting ignorance here but it, it did acknowledge that they were unlearned men certainly according if you were weighing that against someone like Paul they may have been unlearned they were very common men they were fishermen and uh, they, were, they had a very common vocation they were unlearned men but they had been with God and something about that being with God had transformed their lives Lives. Amen. They knew they had been with the Lord. So this new group of believers grew and spread to other cities and to other regions. And uh, Barnabas took Paul and they went to Antioch. And it was here that the church found even more ethnic diversity. 
And the Gentiles were increasing in number. And so now the church is growing. But in the growing, there's always growing pains. Now it's worth the growing pains, but there's always pains from growing. It was from this assembly that the missionary journeys of Paul were launched. And, and interestingly enough, it was right here in Antioch where the disciples were ever first called Christians. In Acts 11.26, the Bible says in part in this verse, it came to pass that a whole year they assembled with the church, themselves with the church, and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And so it was a very, very important time, although it wasn't an easy time. It was an important time. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, attention is always given to the importance of common faith. Paul referred to, to Titus as this. He said, he is my own son after the common faith. He declared that there is, in Ephesians 4 and 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is a common denominator among all of us. I would imagine if we were to poll this audience today, there that we would find out a, a whole different variety of things that everyone here had for breakfast. Some had nothing. Some had a full hot meal. We'd like to figure out who that is. <laughs> a fully cooked meal. Some had a cup of coffee and a donut or a Pop-Tart or a bowl of cereal. It would be a variety of things. And maybe you didn't do that uh, uh, with, with great duress, but that was perhaps what you wanted. And so we are all different in that, in that regard. And so maybe what you want for breakfast is not what somebody else here would want for breakfast. I know Brother Gibson had something for breakfast the other day that I wouldn't want for breakfast or lunch. Or I can't even think of a time that I would want hog jowls. <laughs> hey, he had it for supper one night and said it was so good. He asked his wife, said, I want that for breakfast in the morning. I don't want to see that before I close my eyes, and I sure don't want to see that when I open my eyes. <laughs> God bless you, sir. <laughs> But you know what? We all walked away from our diversities this morning. We walked away from our Pop-Tart, our bowl of cereal. We walked away from our biscuits and gravy. And we came to some common ground. Amen. The common ground we're centered around here this morning is not just a longitude and a latitude. It's not just a physical address or a spot on the map. Amen. But we are centered around here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Amen. We are centered around that. So as, as the body of believers grew in the first century, it is apparent from the writers of the text that they held a unified belief system. They defended their views. They debated their differences. Amen. They did so that the church might firmly be established and come to some common faith. They shared experience. Their, their, their shared experiences depended upon this doctrinal standard of unity. All followers of Christ in the New Testament came to embrace the theology that there is only one God. Now, it's important to note this, that to the Jews... They had no trouble believing that there was one God. Because every day in their home, they heard, when they rose up, when they sat down, amen, they heard, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
And so from their infancy, they had no trouble at all believing that there was one God. Now that doesn't give them a get out of jail free card. Amen. Where their challenge came is they had to believe that Jesus was that one God. Amen. That, that was, that was the rub there. They believed there was one God while the Gentiles, while the Gentiles believed in multiple, the worship of multiple deities. You see, everybody had somewhere to come from to get to the common ground. Amen. Everybody came from somewhere to get to Jerusalem. I preached not long ago about the Sabbath day's journey. The disciples who were on the Mount of Olivet. Amen. They just had to turn and go to Jerusalem and tarry until they be endued with power from on high. For them, the journey from Mount Olives to Jerusalem, according to Scripture, was a Sabbath day's journey or about a half a day's journey. But others were coming from as far away as Egypt. And so some of us had to walk a long way to get to where we are today spiritually speaking but no matter how many steps are involved in you getting where you are are you getting where you need to be and want to be in the Lord can I just announce to you today it will be worth every mile of the trip it will be worth every mile of the trip Praise God. And so uh, those that came from opposing uh, different, differing religious backgrounds often believed, as I said, Gentiles and others uh, believed in the in the plurality of God. So uh, all previously held philosophies or theologies that had to be dealt with, that had to be removed. And so in Colossians 2 and 9, Paul said to the church here, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. In Him there is no division. In Him there is no variableness. Amen. For, for there to be an enduring unity in the body, there has to be a consensus of doctrinal belief. Amen. If we're going to have unity in the body, we've got to be unified over more than just music. We've got to be unified over more than just... Uh, Heritage, we gotta be unified over far more things than, 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 than this is just where we've always come to church. We've got to be unified around some doctrinal belief because that is what's gonna hold us in the time of testing. We stand united in doctrine, firmly founded in the teaching of God's holy word. The word of God becomes our standard of unity and it becomes the foundation of our faith. So vital is the context of being one faith that Jude exhorted all of the believers in Jude 1 and 3. He said, you need to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. So you know what I'm doing here today? Amen. In part, I am contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Don't ever get to the point where you fold your arms and you say, well, I'm just tired of hearing this doctrinal preaching. Amen. That's like getting tired of the foundation that your house is built on. Don't ever get tired of that. Amen. Get tired of the wall color and paint it a different color. Get tired of the shingles and, and change them out to a different color. Change the shutters out to a new style. But don't ever weary with the foundation because what held that home in the time of testing and storm was what it was built on. Praise God. Praise God. 
Amen. I'm going to tell you, I just, I just always enjoy not only teaching doctrine, but I love to hear doctrinal preaching because it's, it's so fundamental. It's, it's who you are. Amen. Earnestly contend. Our God is the truth revealed in the ancient text. Our measure is His irrevocable teaching. And our standard is to contend for the original faith of the earliest followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul said in the Philippians 1 and 27, he said, stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Amen. Now follow these next lines. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. I apologize. Our media uh, computer just went out this morning. and uh, But I had all of this underlined. Stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, unity in faith will require some striving, some defending, some examining and re-examinations. Amen. It, it will require us to re-examine our traditions. It will, re, it will require us to re-examine some of our beliefs. And this is so vital as we determine the plan and, and the, the plain teaching rather of scripture and seek unity on that foundation. We celebrate the unity of the faith that was once delivered to the saints that Job, that Jude talked about. And so we have to contend for our faith even at the risk of being accused of being divisive. Now, I've been accused of being divisive. And whether you know it or not, you've been accused of being divisive. They may not have just said it to your face. Amen. Because if we have no foundation, if we have no foundation, our fragile unity will not be able and not be strong enough to help us endure. You are not going to be able to hold hands and just sing Kumbaya and get through everything. There are some things that you're going to have to lay on the table. You're going to have to reconcile that. You're going to have to deal with that. Our faith, our values, our core moral convictions, that's what defines our belief system. Amen. And you know what? Those are things we take home with us because they're in our heart. They're woven into the fabric of who we are. We don't just tell the truth while we're in church and somebody else could overhear us if we were to lie. Amen. We're going to tell the truth no matter where we are. Amen. We're going to be honest in our business dealings, not just when we're under the spotlight of, of, of some formal church service or where somebody is watching us. Amen. Our moral conduct and our code, that's what we go to bed with. That's what we wake up with. That's just who we are. You wake us up in the middle of the night. Wake us up at 3 o'clock in the morning. We're going to stand straight up in the bed. And that's that's what we believe. What, I, what the core factor of who we are, that's what we have in our heart. It's just there. It's just there. Amen. Those things form the framework for unity. They're the benchmarks that we hold. Amen. Bible believers uh, hold to the understanding that there is one salvation. This conviction comes from the beginning, the very beginning of the apostolic church. And, and when I say that, I'm talking about Acts chapter 2. Amen. Peter was emphatic that the healing of the lame man was only by the name of Jesus 
This was not my hands. This was not what I said. This was not some gift that I possess. In Acts 4 and 10, he said, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. It is not us. This is not our healing campaign. This is not our ministry, but this is the hand of the Lord. Peter insisted that only in the name only the name of Jesus brings salvation. There is only one authority to secure eternal salvation. Amen. It is only through the name of Jesus. Acts 4 and 12, the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So on the other hand, pluralism uh, teaches that there are many ways to God. And we are living in a in a world today, we're living in a very dangerous world today. Spiritually, we're living in a dangerous world in many years. We're certainly living in a very dangerous world spiritually. Now, when, when we think of people that have just kind of relaxed all of the issues and they just now sort of just say, you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe and we'll just all meet you on the other side. There is something about conflict. I'm not big on conflict. But there is something about conflict that can drill down to the core of a matter. And there is, it's a wonderful thing to have unity. But I want to go back and say not, not peace at any price. Not peace at any price because there may be there may be an underlying issue here that's not going to, you know, it's got to, pardon me, but it, it, some things, have, it's just got to come to a head. And it's got to be dealt with. And so, um, Jesus didn't leave us an option. There was only one way to the Lord. Jesus said this in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other access but through one door, according to John 10, 7 and 9. Jesus is that door. And so to be truly united, we must there, there must be a shared faith, a shared doctrine, a shared salvation. There must be a central platform or foundation upon which we stand. Galatians 3, verses 27 and 28, the Bible says, For as many of you as, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Verse 28, watch this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. The Lord has a way of pulling things together, unifying things to the degree that it just seems that all lines are blurred, that we're pulled together as we stand on the foundation of truth. We become one in Christ when we are baptized in His name and when we are filled with the Spirit. And so it is Christ's commission to preach and teach the gospel throughout the whole world. And so that's why, that's why in part, that's why we are as a church involved in missions, not only here in Florida and not only here in North America, but around the world. Because it is a part of the commission of God to go to the, all the world and preach the gospel. 
Now we can't all go, and as the slogan of our global missions many years ago had been that not everyone can go, but everyone can give. Not everyone's called to go, but we can all give to causes and help those that are, that are propagating the gospel. And so in that, we are still responsible for propagating the gospel around the world. And so you may not have ever been on foreign soil, but that does not mean that you are not a missionary when you give to missions. Amen. So we have to understand the value to preach and to teach the gospel throughout the entire world. But you know what? Sometimes we can become so globally minded that we are no locally good. <laughs> We're re- willing to reach around the globe through our own hands or around the globe through our financial support and yet fail to talk to somebody in the hardware store about the goodness of God. Somebody that we may meet in a restaurant about the goodness of the Lord. And so we need to preach the gospel to the whole world. And so when you walk into a place of business this afternoon or tomorrow and walk into a restaurant perhaps later on this afternoon, understand this is the world. This is part of the world right here that I've been called to witness to. Amen. That is a cause that, that unites us. We are united around the power to preach the gospel to the whole world. Amen. So there are times when there is, uh, that, that we come into conflict or maybe other opinions of other believers. And so that's why we need to discuss our positions. You need to be able to talk about some things. Every, every couple here understands the value of communication. Not the value of talking. But the value of being able to communicate. And communication takes a long time. It takes a long time to figure that out. When my wife and I were dating, just like when you were dating, we could talk for hours on the phone about nothing. Well, don't look at me so weird because you were all the same way. But our ability to talk did not ensure we had the ability to communicate. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to communicate and talk about things. Amen. Uh, you know, it, it, the best way to resolve some conflict is just to talk about it. Not throwing pots and pans and potatoes and all that kind of things, but to sit down and talk about it. And some people really struggle to just sit down and work something out. Amen. So we've got to discuss our positions. We have to agree. Anybody in a relationship ever agreed on some kind of compromise? For the sake of keeping the roof on the house? You just kind of reach some sort of compromise. This is probably just how it's going to be. If you think you're going to marry somebody and just morph them into something else, you need to get another hobby. You may change them a little. But we're we're probably not going to change a whole lot. You're probably going to bury very much the person you marry. (laughs) Moving right along. But listening is not compromise. Some compromises may be needed to bring greater unity and greater effectiveness. There may be some compromises, some things that, that we compromise on. And, and I know compromise is a dirty word in many minds, but just stay with me because I'm going somewhere. But some compromises we may need to help uh, have our, the, the ministry to be more effective. However, in the process of our discussions, there are three things 
Amen. That, that are going to be evident. Amen. Number one, there are some truths that are not up for negotiation. We can talk about a lot of things and we can try to hammer a lot of things, but when we're talking about the church and doctrine, there are some truths. They're not, they're not up for discussion. That is the forever settled written word of God. Amen. Such of them are biblical standards for salvation. That's not up for discussion. It's in the book. I didn't put it in there and I surely can't take it out. Amen. Those things are, are, are they're, they're, those are things that we cannot compromise no matter how compelling the argument. If it's in this Bible, I've got to hold on to that. Secondly, there are some things with which we are going to find ourselves in agreement with. Amen. That's the value of coming to a place of honest discussion and, and open debate. We find ourselves in agreement. Amen. And, and so we, we're on common ground here. There's nothing to compromise about. We both have the same thing. Unity is achieved when we come together for a common cause. Finally, thirdly, there are some things that are just, that are, that are scriptural and there are some things that are reasonable that we just may not have considered. I don't ever want to think I've got it all. Amen. We may find ourselves on the wrong side of an argument. The wrong side of an issue. I won't ask you to raise your hand high. But has anybody here ever found yourself wrong? <laughs> Let me ask the more fun question. Anybody ever here ever find yourself on the side of you were right? We almost got a message in tongues there. <laughs> when you're right and you know you're right. And there are times when you thought you were right. And open discussion, honest, open discussion. And we found out we were wrong. Nothing wrong with that. We have more to be unified around now. Somewhere in all of our lives, we have heard the haunting, familiar tones of a solitary bugle playing a single note of taps, often at military funerals. Taps was also sounded to signal the ending of the day. There was a clear signal. And the purpose of the bugler was to sound various refrains. He's not entertaining the troops. Something significant is going on here. In earlier times, before radio communications and digital devices, of course, a bugler was a vital communicator for the commander of the troops. The sound of his horn instantly provided instructions and directions for all those that were in earshot. The notes and the tunes conveyed not entertainment, but orders from the commander. The bugler was not the commander, but what he was given was orders from the commander. During battle, there was a distinctive charge sounded by the bugler to, to signal the order of an advance. Maybe you've 
heard that particular charge in some movie or something where they are announcing we are advancing into battle. Likewise, there was another sound signaling the order to retreat. There were consistent signals and unified codes that were not only learned by the bugler, but they also had to be learned by the soldiers. So everybody involved understood the commands when they were sounded. We all need to be on the same page. I want to remind you again, the man holding that bugle was not there entertaining. Certain notes meant certain things. And so it was not up to him alone to sit in his barracks and figure out what all this means. But it was also the responsibility of every foot soldier to understand what this means. Can I tell you today that we don't need to just have one or two people in the church that understands this. We need the congregation to be filled with people that understand the value of salvific doctrine. Amen. What are, what's it going to take to be ready when the trumpet sounds? I've got to get my hands around that. You know why? Because your children need your voice. Because I'm not going to have the relationship as the pastor that you have as the mother and the father. Their Sunday school teacher, their youth directors, they're not going to have the relationship with your children that you're going to have with them. That's why Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says when you sit down in your home, when you rise up in your home, when you go about your way, you need to talk about it. You need to talk about it. Let's stand. I feel the Holy Ghost settling in here today. It's not random that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 and 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare themselves to the battle? We've got to have trumpeters that understand the value of the sound. But can I tell you today, if the trumpeter, if the preacher understands the value of a certain sound, but you don't recognize the sound, it won't matter how much preaching is from behind this pulpit. It won't matter who's holding the mic. It won't matter who has the message. If we don't get it, we are going to pay a dear, dear price. Amen. God, help us to understand the value of being unified. Unified. Amen. Around the singleness of His Word. His Word will keep us. His Word will hold us. Can we lift our hands and our voices and magnify the Lord together? What a wonderful presence of God. What a wonderful presence of God is in this house. God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you today, God, for the value of your Word. And don't ever let me take it for granted. Don't ever let me take it for granted, God, but let me hold it dear. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.